Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Morning, church family. It's fun to celebrate together, isn't it? Solar campaign completed, sending 27 students to one con this coming weekend, celebrating a women's breakfast, so much going on, and we're excited to celebrate. I wanted to give you something else that we can celebrate this morning. I've, I've launched a brand new ministry team today, this morning, and I, I call them the Comfort and Ease team, and their whole job is to make my life easier, because getting up on this stage is difficult. It's uncomfortable. Would anybody agree public speaking is one of those uncomfortable, awkward... Yeah, and uh, you guys are sitting down, so I should be comfortable. I've been at this conference all weekend. I'm tired, standing for 35 minutes. I'm tall. I slouch over. It's hard on the back. So uh, we're going to mobilize our brand new Comfort and Ease team. So let's see if this works. Okay, here we go. Thank you. Oh, slippers. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, some tea, thank you very much, and a pillow, lovely. Steve, and a chair, thank you so much. Look at this, wow, what service. Do you mind tucking me in, Steve, could you do that? I get you prefer the tag at the top or the tag at the bottom? Uh, tag at the bottom, I don't like the tag rubbing on my neck. How's that? That's perfect, thank okay. you. That's great, that's lovely, thank you. Ah, there. Okay, I'll let you know. There, that's more comfortable, isn't it? That's good. We like our comfort, don't we? Don't like to be uncomfortable. Um, I remember when Elsie and I were looking for our house when we when we moved here. It took 11 months, and we would often say to each other, "Isn't it just going to be great when we get our own living room with our own furniture, and we can finally just like ah." Like, sit down on our own couch and kick back. Like, won't that be the moment when we're finally home? Because we like to be comfortable at home, right? How many, how many have their chair in their living room? Lazy boy, sectional. You know, you know the corner in the sectional where you can just kind of like hide into the cushions and disappear from the world? You can escape. Uh, we like our comfy clothes, don't we? How many of you this afternoon after shared lunch, after members meeting, are going to go home and get your comfy pants on and get on the couch, have a nice nap. Comfort food, anybody? Bag of Doritos, pull it out at the end of the day. (laughs) Turn on your show, you know, binge watch some Netflix just to relax at the end of the day because we like to be comfortable, don't we? And and this kind of translates into church as well. Like, we like to be comfortable in church, don't we? When we get together with our church family, for the church service, in the church building, we like to provide a comfortable atmosphere, you know, the lighting's not too intense, there's just some some soft background music, there's people to help show you where to park, there's people to show you, guide you when you get into the facility. We we want people's first time experience to be comfortable. We've got these comfortable seats. How many people grew up in a church with wooden pews? 
where like the bottom was way too short and if you, if you lean back at all, you would slide right off. Do you know what I'm talking about? I grew up at a church like that. We didn't, we didn't have comfy chairs like this. And the temperature, climate control, you know, the air conditioning in the summer, and it's just, it's just comfortable. And we often say, you know, if, if this is your first time here with us, there's no obligation to give. You know, don't, don't worry about the giving time. We, we don't need your money. Jesus wants your heart. And uh, nobody's going to make it awkward for you. We don't want to make you uncomfortable. Has anybody been to a church service where they get all the visitors to stand and like say what their name is and, and introduce their family and talk about where they're from? It's awkward, right? So, so we want to make it comfortable. We just, we just want to make it real comfortable for everybody. But sometimes that that becomes an unspoken part of our culture, doesn't it? I feel weird preaching in my, my slippers from home, but could I sit, would that be okay? <laughs> um, sometimes we can take the hospitality and the guest experience a little far, can't we? So that comfort becomes like an unspoken value of Faith Baptist Church. And, and we begin to think that church should be comfortable. It should be all about my comfort. And, and you know, if, if the music wasn't my favorite style of music, then maybe I should talk to somebody about that. Or if the speaker said something that contradicted my opinion, maybe I should talk to somebody about that. And maybe if the lights are too bright, then, oh, we should talk to somebody about that. And then the conversation goes like, oh, you know, we just, we just want you to be comfortable. Is that really what church is about? To be comfortable? Should, should we come into the church service on a Sunday and, and have comfort as one of our values. We want to be comfortable. We want it to be easy. We want it to be in and out. We don't want the preacher to go over time. We don't want them to encroach on any of our afternoon time. And it's a nice day outside. And I hope Josh realizes that I've got plans after the service. So let's make sure this is right on time, in, out. You know, I, I hope nobody asks anything. I hope it doesn't get too personal because personal is awkward and that would make me uncomfortable. And we just want to, we just want to keep this easy for people. If all we say is, I'm glad you're comfortable. How did you enjoy the service today? Was it good? Oh, I'm glad it's good. Come back next week for the, uh, the second showing. <laughs> maybe, maybe we can be careful with first-time guests and make sure we give them a good experience and we're not pushing them too quickly into serving and into giving and into over-engaging in the life of the church until we get to know them and some relationship is built. But look, if you've been attending for six months, for a year, for two years, for 10 years, and you've never engaged in serving and being part of the family and playing your role and exercising your gifts in being on mission with the church family, then that's wrong. And that's on us, and that's on you if, if we're preaching comfort and ease, and we just want to make sure you're comfortable this morning. We're just glad you're here. We're just, we're just so glad you're here this morning. Well, I think God wants more than that from you, and I am glad that you're here this morning, but I think God wants more than that from you and for you. The seats are comfortable, but Sunday service is more than sitting in a comfortable seat. Would you say Amen. There's a little more to the discipleship process than that. And the, the principle of discipleship that we're going to get into today in our series on discipleship is the fact that discipleship happens faithfully through difficulty 
through discomfort, through the cringy moments of opening up to somebody about a spiritual conversation for the first time, through the awkwardness, through the discomfort, through the difficulty, discipleship happens faithfully. Discipleship can be hard. Consider parenting. Imagine saying this to your kid, you know what, sweetie, as long as you're comfortable. (laughs) Mommy, my homework is hard. Why do I have to do homework? Oh, I know, sweetie, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you have to go through this this tremendously terrible experience. You know what? I'm going to talk to your teacher. No more homework for you. Or like, dad, soccer practice is so hard. Do I really have to? We're, We're going to have this conversation tonight with our kids at soccer practice. I guarantee. What if the conversation went like, oh, Jade, you know what? I'll I'll do your soccer practice for you so you don't feel embarrassed in front of the other parents doing the silly warm-up and the running the laps. And if you miss the ball, I'll let daddy do it for you and you can sit on the sidelines in daddy's chair and I'll do it. Because I would hate for you to be uncomfortable. I would hate for it not to be easy for you. That's not how that conversation's gonna go tonight, by the way. Uh, But it, it might be our approach to volunteer recruitment and creating ministry teams here in the church family. In our recruiting, we say, you know what? Is it okay if I ask you to serve? And, and don't worry, don't worry. It's a really easy position. Any monkey could do it. <laughs> you don't have to show up early. You don't have to stay late. Uh, you can sit down if you want. And um, the schedule is one week on, 12 weeks off. And if you can't make it that Sunday, that's okay. Just let me know. If you don't let me know, that's okay too. I'll never bring it up again. And I'll fill in for you uh, because I fill in for everybody because for some reason volunteers have this idea that there is no standard that we have to reach in our volunteering because we've made the standard so low that we've provided people with excuses before they ever step into volunteering. I'm guilty of that. Let's just make it easy for people and then maybe we can get more people on the team. If it was only easier, if it was only more comfortable, if there were no expectations. If there were no difficulty to persevere through and everything was easy and comfortable, we'd all be a bunch of immature, underdeveloped babies. Do you know that? Uh, Discomfort and difficulty were some of the more memorable moments of my upbringing and my growth and my development and my discipleship. You would probably say the same. I was a severely backwards and shy little awkward child. My kids are shy. I was more shy. Uh, There is home video of the Sunday school class at Christmas time at Parkside Baptist Church in Moncton, New Brunswick. And here's little Joshy boy sitting at the back of the room facing the back wall. (laughs) Just because I, I didn't know how to interact with people. And my parents, being the loving, gracious, kind parents that they were, forced me to interact with people. Now I know that people have issues socially and there are different developmental situations and I want to be careful in what I say here, but that's what I needed when I was a kid. I needed my parents to force me to talk to the kind elderly person at church in the lobby and look them in the eye when I gave them a response. And when we were at the fast food restaurant, mom would make me order my own meal. And then she would correct my order after I ordered it, which would embarrass me all the more. (laughs) 
my parents pushed me to be on the basketball team, to go to guitar lessons, to get up on the stage at school and give this speech. I remember my dad took me to prayer meeting and I sat in a group of like 12 older men and I was the only kid there. And when it went around the circle and it came my time to pray, I got the finger on the knee. Do you know what that means? It means you're going to pray out loud in front of these men. And I prayed for the first time out loud in front of those men. I thought I was going to die. When I was 18, I think it was, my boss at my summer employment getting ready to pay for college, uh, he gave me the opportunity to open a temporary plant stand on Roby Street in Trot. Does anybody remember that stand with the... Uh, the big tent over top kind of looked like a circus setup, kind of operated like a circus, honestly, <laughs> way back in 2007. So in order to do that, I had to sit in the boardroom with my boss and my parents at the table, and I had to make the call to the business owner in Truro whose property we were going to borrow for this thing. And I had to pitch the idea to him, give him the details, give him the dates, and have the conversation on the phone with my boss sitting here and my parents sitting there. And I thought I was going to die. I remember I got to Bible school and we were informed at the first chapel session that all the freshmen are going to get up and share a little bit of their story. Do you like jumping up and doing some public speaking on the spot if you haven't had time to prepare? Maybe you'd prefer that than actually knowing that the date was coming because that would cause more anxiety. But I remember getting up and being so anxious, I remember looking down at my chest and thinking I could see my heart beating out of my chest and not being able to catch my breath and fumbling through my words because I couldn't get them out because I, I was so nervous thinking I was going to die. If, if you had told that shy kid that his profession would involve and his calling would involve getting up and public speaking once a week, oh man, I would have crawled under a rock. I would have been sick to my stomach. For the first years of being a pastor and still sometimes to this day, I get sick to my stomach on Sundays because of the, the nerves and the stress and the public speaking. But God has called me to it. And because of those situations where I was pushed and stretched, it was development, it was discipleship, it was growth, and it's made me the person who I am today. So I'm so thankful to my parents for pushing me in those awkward situations because I wouldn't be the man I am today if somebody hadn't have pushed me in the difficult stuff and was faithful to me through the difficulty. So that's what we're talking about. Here's the principle. Discipleship happens faithfully through difficulty, through the awkwardness, through the frustration, through the distractions, through the temptations, faithful through the hard, gut-wrenching work of sharing life with people in their highs and lows. So there's a million examples that we can give from scripture. You can talk about Abraham and Isaac. You can talk about David, Goliath, Saul. You can talk about Daniel, his three friends refusing to bow. You talk about Nehemiah and the wall built to half its height in record time. You can talk about all these hard situations where people followed God's call through scripture. But I just want to take you to one place today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would turn there. 2 Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy had hard discipleship situations to walk through. 
Paul wrote this letter to help Timothy as Timothy gave his life to help other people follow Jesus. And spoiler alert, at the end of the story, Timothy's in prison for helping other people follow Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy about the suffering that he's enduring as he serves Jesus. He mentions Phygelus and Hermogenes. You guys don't know how to pronounce those names either, so I'm not even going to try. They're two Christians who totally gave up and turned away from the faith, turned away from Paul, abandoned him, because apparently being associated with a Roman prison was too... But Roman prisoner was, was too uncomfortable for their faith. So they threw in the towel and they walked away. They canceled Paul. They left him behind for a more comfortable Christian experience, a more, more private Christian experience. That's, that's pretty unchristian, by the way, seeing the fact that while we were st- still sinners, Christ died for us, that God demonstrates his love in that way that he, he reached out and, and received us when we were at our worst Isn't this what baptism is all about? Identifying with Christ publicly, not being ashamed to claim Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and tell the world through baptism that this is the decision I've made, not being ashamed, not turning away, not not keeping your faith private. So now Paul wants to share with Timothy where strength comes from, to be faithful in discipleship even when it's difficult. Praise God for the men and women who remain faithful to us in our discipleship experience. I guarantee you didn't come to Christ on a whim. I guarantee that there there were people praying, there were people serving, there were people giving of their time, their relationship, their resources. Praise God for those people who remain faithful in our discipleship. Turn to chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Let's look at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul interacts with Timothy in this father-son, parent-child relationship. Uh, Paul refers to Timothy as his beloved child. Paul Paul is his father in the faith. He led him to Christ. That's personal. That's, That's the first principle of discipleship that we looked at. Discipleship is personal. It's not professional. It's not distant, it's not business, it's up close, personal, relational. And this picture of a father to his son is is a great picture of discipleship, like a heavenly father who disciplines his sons and daughters as they're developing and growing and following and becoming more like Christ. It's personal. That was the first principle we looked at. Son, I know it's difficult, but you can do it. Not not because you got some muscles, but because the grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient for you, that in your weakness, you can be strong, and he's going to do the work through your weakness. Do you need some strength for the trial today? Are you tired? Are you weary? You feel like throwing in the towel? You want to get your comfy clothes on? Am I making you jealous in my slippers? Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. 
Those who wait on the Lord. Isn't that what Steve talked about last Sunday? An active waiting, not a passive waiting, prayerfully waiting on the Lord. Because discipleship is incremental. It takes time over time. It requires a lot of patience. Waiting on the Lord, renewing our strength. The Lord is my strength and shield. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. God said to Moses, Moses said to Joshua, God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's personal. Strong tower. He's the strong tower and the righteous run into it. By his strong and mighty right arm, he frees his people. Even the strong man, Jesus says, my father is stronger. Nobody can pluck them out of his hand. The strength of God can be your strength through Jesus. Why did Timothy need strength? It must have been difficult. It must have been difficult to serve in a church in this day with persecution so rampant. If if it's easy, you don't need strength. If it's not hard, you don't need faith. If you can accomplish it all on your own, you, you don't need God. But that's not the life that we experience. We need strength. We need help. We desperately need God to save us in our sin. James 1, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith, when your faith is pushed, when your faith is tested, when it's stretched, it produces that steadfastness, that patience that Steve talked about last week, bringing us to maturity, closer to Christ, becoming more like Christ in our sanctification. Difficulty has the infused potential of discipleship development. And without difficulty, there are aspects of our discipleship that will not be developed unless we're faithful through the difficulty. Look at verse 2, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. Paul says, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Isn't this the second principle we talked about in discipleship? Discipleship happens in community. It's not all on us. It's not all on our strength. Yes, it's all about God's strength, but oftentimes God gives us his strength through God's people. God chooses to work through his people. God chooses to answer prayer through his people. Why would I, why would I sit in my comfy chair and look across the road at my neighbor and think, God, I really hope you reach him. When, when God is saying the whole time, like, that's why I put you on that street. Ding dong, hello. Go talk to him. God uses people to answer prayer. He uses us. He's calling us. Discipleship happens in community. Ephesians 4, it's to build up the body, strengthened by every joint when it's working together, sharing the load amongst leaders. That's why this church has pastors and elders and deacons and a finance team and a benevolent team and leaders over Journey Kids who are with the kids right now and Momentum Youth who are going to be taking 27 to the conference this weekend. This is why we have leaders. This is why the saints are equipped for the work of the ministry, because this isn't supposed to be all on you or me alone. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be a community where we work together for the sake of the mission to be disciples making disciples. 
Then Paul uses these three images. These are my three main points, three things. He uses these images that Timothy is is totally familiar with in his culture, in his day. Three pictures, three points. Here are three pictures to show you what it looks like to be faithful through the difficult work of discipleship. Why is discipleship difficult? Look at verse 3. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This is discipleship and community. Sharing in suffering. It's a necessary part of sharing in glory, isn't it? If you don't sweat it out with the team on the field, then you don't lift the trophy with the team at the end of the victory, do you? It's easy enough to say what the Maple Leafs should have done as we watch them on TV. It's another thing to be out there on the ice through the playoffs to see what it really takes to get the glory. And if you don't suffer, you don't get a taste of the glory. And we're called to suffer together to share the load, not watching from the easy chair. Sharing and suffering, it means bearing ill treatment with someone, a true partner true friend who will stick with you through the hard times, suffering hardships together. Isn't this what Jesus invites us to do when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, what's a yoke? It's like a piece of lumber between two oxen so that they can both carry the load together. But if you're teamed up with Jesus, if you're teamed up with Jesus, who's carrying the load? It's like that cartoon where they're carrying something on their shoulder and the little cartoon, I think it's a dog that I'm picturing for some reason, a big bulldog and then this little yippy dog that's kind of jumping next to him. Do you remember that cartoon? And the little yippy dog is on the end of the beam that they're carrying. His feet aren't even touching the ground because the big dog's carrying all the weight. Isn't that the picture? I, I helped a family member move uh, from their place in Halifax this past week, and I did it with a bunch of cousins. So we're moving stuff down the staircase out to the U-Haul truck, and we're moving this big dresser, somewhat heavy, um, and my cousin Cameron is on the lower end. I've learned at this point in life that you want to probably be at the higher end because the lower end carries all the weight. You know what I'm talking about? And the staircase is steep enough so that he's got like 90% of this dresser and I could probably just hold it with one finger because, yeah, he's carrying all the weight. Isn't that the picture of sharing and suffering? Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. You will find rest for your weary souls because Jesus is the one who's really carrying the weight. You know, soldiers suffer. Boot camp, training, I was chatting with my buddy Ben, who was a medic in the Canadian military, and he was talking about training and boot camp and high altitude training and the weight of the packs that they had to carry and some of his medical duties that I won't get into detail because it's pretty gross and gory and I don't appreciate that stuff as much as he did. But, and, then, and then the tours that he did uh, in the Canadian Navy, across the ocean, and the difficulty of of being a a soldier in the military. 
And you get the picture of those Navy SEALs when it comes to carrying the yoke and carrying the weight. When they're doing the training on the beach and they're all carrying the log above their heads and it's like a team of eight of them and they're all carrying the weight with one another, working together, suffering together, serving as a soldier. It means to wage war, to fight, to contend, to stand your ground, to engage in the fight and the battle together. But how many of us are disengaged? Oh, somebody else has got it. There's a war being waged, yeah, I know, but um, I, I don't really feel called, you know, I don't feel equipped. I really feel it's my duty and is that what we pay the pastors to do? Isn't that why we have a board? Isn't that why we have a Journey Kids team so that I don't have to? We're disengaged. And, and Satan has whispered this little lie that, you know, just take time for you. You've done enough. You've, you've served for a while now, Caleb. You're like 80 years old. Why do you have to take this mountain? Just sit down, take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I love how Paul puts it. We, we know it's a fight. We know that. Uh, we live in 2023 in a woke society. We know it's a fight. There's, you can look everywhere and know that there's a war waging on truth. We know we're going to suffer. But here's something really practical. I love what Paul points out about being a soldier. He says, don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. Entangled means involved, woven in. You ever uh, go fishing? You get the fishing line tangled up. Then you spend all of your time not fishing, but focused on the knots or the Christmas lights. You know that picture where Clark gives, uh, what's his name, Rusty, the big, big bundle of Christmas lights? Here, undo that. You spend hours untangling because it's all, it's all wrapped up. So, th so there's two usages of this Greek word in the New Testament, and one is here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The other one is in 2 Peter 2.19. Let me read it for you. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Entangled, stuck, entangled in civilian affairs. Civilian affairs, it means pursuits, priorities, businesses, works, projects, hobbies. Giving your attention to the less important things while the battle is raging on. It's like you're watching a wartime movie. Anybody like wartime movies, documentaries? Yeah. I don't know if it's uh, Dunkirk or Hacksaw Ridge, but you're watching this fight scene break out and there's grenades and there's bombs and there's barbed wire and there's men diving into trenches. And um, then you see in the distance, in the background of the scene, there's a man with a red and white striped apron. Looks kind of odd. And he's standing in front of what looks like a storefront that's still standing in the rubble and the carnage as the bombs are flying over. And he's, uh, he's putting his sign straight and he's rehanging his door and he's uh, washing his window and he's wiping down his counters and he's selling ice cream. Doesn't fit. Does it? 
You think, what's Hollywood doing? This makes no sense. Why is somebody trying to sell ice cream while the war is raging on? There's a tank rolling across the street in front of his business. Who of these soldiers is going to stop and buy ice cream instead of fighting with their comrades? Isn't that a tactic of the devil, though? A distraction? Getting us to give our attention to lesser things, thinking that we're actually accomplishing something, but we're totally off mission? But hey, we're there. We're, we're offering something. We're, we're playing a part, aren't we? Aren't we doing something? Selling ice cream is nice, but shouldn't be the top priority be, raging, be the raging battle that's being fought right in front of your storefront? Jesus calls us to his mission. To save souls. To deploy the saints for the ministry. To care for the widow and the orphan. To alleviate oppression and suffering around the world in Jesus' name. To push back the darkness with the light of the world. The hope of the ages. In the end, only one thing is going to matter. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We spent our life for him. Sure, it's hard. It's a battle. But we have been enlisted by the blood of God's son who died in our place. And the devil's like, hey, come over here. Just... Just take a little break. Just talk to me for a second. Is this, like, you only get one life, right? Is this, is this really how you want to spend it? Like, didn't you already pray the prayer when you were eight? You know, you're good, right? You've already kind of done your part for God. You've served. Just, just take it easy for a while. Get some ice cream. Ice cream's good. It's a hot day outside. Mastown Market has tons of flavors. You can get a waffle cone, sugar cone. You can get a chocolate dipped. Just take a break. Eat, drink, and be merry. Just, just chill. You've done your part. And we get sidelined thinking that we're still, you know what, we're still here on Sunday. We still, we still pray before our meals. We're still kind of doing our part. We just, we're just kind of older now, you know, and we've played our role and we've given our time and our money and our talent and our resources and we're at a different stage in life and it's just not as easy now. And so we're just going to take it easy. Retirement, yeah. The battle wouldn't last long if the soldier had this idea that his comfort and ease was more important than the fight for freedom. It would end pretty quick, wouldn't it? Okay, you guys win. It's not worth the battle. Meet you at the lake. Bring your fishing rod. Soldiers are ready to suffer for their country's freedom. I heard something on a podcast this week, they did studies on those soldiers who uh, they stormed the beaches at Normandy and the first ones to get off those boats were just mowed down by the machine guns. And the ones who got past started climbing the hill and they were mowed down. But they eventually provided the way for the rest of the army and soldiers to get up over that hill, off that beach, and eventually secure the victory. And the podcast was talking about clinical studies on why these soldiers would do that. 
knowing that as soon as they get off that boat, they're done. And it came back to the fact that they, they weren't thinking about world freedom. They weren't thinking necessarily about their country's freedom. They were thinking about the man to the left and the soldier to the right and the commanding officer who's behind them and giving their life for their comrades. Praise God they didn't take it easy. Praise God they didn't say this is too hard and I'm going home. Jesus called James and John, Peter and Andrew, leave your nets, leave your boats, leave your father, follow me, give up fishing because I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they gave up everything to give their life for the mission of Jesus. That's the first picture. How, how does discipleship happen faithfully through difficulty like a soldier? By keeping the mission of Jesus, the one who enlisted us, as the aim and the focus. Not getting caught up in all the other civilian affairs and hobbies and projects and focuses and escapes. What does that look like practically? It looks like stop talking about the weather and start talking about Jesus when you get the opportunity. Stop worrying about your lawn or your golf swing and start getting a right concern, a righteous concern for your neighbors across the street. Looks like clearing time on your schedule, not for another hobby, not for another sport, not for another TV show or some lower priority thing, but clearing time on your schedule to help other people follow Jesus. Serving in the church, serving in the community, to be disciples, making disciples, that's our mission. This is one of the reasons why discipleship is so difficult because it calls us to let go of our agenda of our mission, of our hopes, our dreams, our goals, our priorities, our budget. Because Jesus says daily, take up your cross and follow me. And that means dying to self. Not getting caught up in those civilian affairs. A soldier's aim is to please his commanding officer and to carry out the mission. Second picture, verse five. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, an athlete is a pretty general term. Uh, likely what Paul is referencing is the Greco-Roman games, the early Olympics, and probably it's talking about running, wrestling, chariot racing. Most likely he's referring to wrestling. Wrestling is many things, but I wouldn't call it easy. Would you? I don't think any wrestler would say, you know what, I got into this because delivering papers on the weekend was just too hard. I, I think it'd be funny. You should find the uh, biggest, brawniest wrestler you can find who's got more hair on his chest than I have on my head and tell him, you know what? I think wrestling is easy. I think any baby could do it. Now, I want you to tell me how that goes for you. I, I tried Brazilian jiu-jitsu once with my buddy Josh in New Brunswick. And uh, I realized pretty quickly that rolling around on the floor getting choked by a sweaty man is not what I want to do in my free time. I could not believe how hard it was. I've, I've got like a foot of height 
on Josh and at least 25 pounds on Josh and I couldn't do anything. I laid on my back on the floor while he sat on top of me for like 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm never gonna try Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu again. If that's even what you can call it. Uh, just like being in the military, athletics are hard work. You learn to endure suffering. I can still feel the cramp in my side, a track and field, when the coach would say, you got a cramp? Get your hands on your head, keep moving. Like, really, can't I sit on the bench for a while? Practice, the weight room, fourth quarter, giving yourself for your teammates to this cause of sport and competition. Just like being in the military, it's hard work, but athletic games have very specific rules regulations. They've got referees ready to wave the flag or to blow the whistle, lift the card. What about rules? We, we get bent out of shape about rules, hey? You ever been to a kid's hockey game, listen to the parents, talk to the refs? Maybe get escorted out? I remember in a high school basketball game, I won't tell you where because it's a little too close to home, but uh, one of the coaches on the other team threw a chair into the, uh, the court and got escorted from the game by some parents and some referees. But like, why do we get so bent out of shape about rules? We live and die by rules in sporting. We argue them to the death if you're into sports. It's all about the rules, about following the rules. What about rules in wrestling and athletics? What, what's Paul trying to tell Timothy about discipleship? Rules, the, the Greek term means rightfully, lawfully, legitimately. It's it's how you go about the competition, not the end result. That's, that's what I'm trying to teach my son because my son's all about winning, getting the goal. Hey dad, I, I magged another kid at soccer. I don't even know what magged means. It's not about winning or losing. It's not about getting a moment of glory. It's about how you play the game. Were you a good sport? Were you a team player? Did you give it your all? Did you try hard? Did you have fun? All those things my dad said to me when I was a kid that went right over my head when I was a kid because it was all about winning. But it's not about winning, it's about how you play the game. Paul uses the same illustration, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So, run in such a way that you may obtain it. It's all about how you run the race. Not what position you come in, it's all about how you run the race, according to the rules, the right way, not taking shortcuts, not getting a taxi halfway through the Boston Marathon and showing up at the end, getting a good time. <laughs> the end doesn't justify the means. Cheaters never prosper. Bending the rules in an attempt to get the upper hand, you can't win that way. Cheating may make it easier in the moment, but not in the long run. Alex reminded me of this this week in uh, Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah try and bend the rules. God gave him a clear command. Go to Nineveh. Here's what you're going to say to them. And Jonah turned around and went out of bounds the wrong way. Did it work out easier for Jonah? No. It probably would have been way easier if he had just listened and followed God's command and went where God told him to go. But instead he had to get swallowed by a fish, barfed up on a beach, <laughs> and then hiked to Nineveh. Should have just listened to God in the first place, followed the rules. Cheaters never prosper. God's laws, the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes of Jesus, the Great Commission, these are all God's best for our life. Not to keep us from having fun, but the best way to live. It's hard to follow rules though, isn't it? 
It's really easy to cross that line. But forgiving instead of spiting someone, that's really hard. Having no other gods before God, no other priorities that rise above the priority of God in your life, take that throne, that's hard. Remaining faithful to your spouse, Jesus says, even in the thoughts that you think about other people, remaining faithful to your spouse, that's hard. It's God's best for your life, but it's difficult because the devil twists God's truth. And your flesh will say, I want it. And the world will tell you, you should have it because it's all about you and your happiness and your comfort and ease. So it's hard. Paul says, the thing I know is right, that I do not do. And the thing that I know is wrong, that I do. It's because of the sin within me. Why do I do the things that I don't want to do? Why do I keep going down this road? Why do I keep having this habit? It's hard. Taking the easy way, bending the rules. We're actually adding to the difficulty that we experience in life. Do you realize that? When you try and take the easy route, we're talking about discipleship being difficult and how we have to be faithful in it. We actually make it harder by bending the rules in an attempt to make life easier. Discipleship is hard when you're wanted for tax fraud because you thought you could cut some corners and save some money. Discipleship's harder when you choose an impure relationship over God and now you're trying to convince somebody else that they should follow God. Winning the Tour de France is easier by doping, but when you get caught for breaking the rules, you lose everything. Your name is never mentioned again in the Tour de France. This is the second picture. Following Jesus means following Jesus' commands for your life, and that is difficult. But cutting corners and cheating will not win you the prize. So run in such a way that you will win the prize. Compete according to the rules. Be faithful through the difficulty. What does that look like practically? It means living what we preach. Walking the talk. Following God as we encourage others to follow God. That's integrity. Valuing God's commands for right living in a world that could care less. No, sorry, they actually do care a lot. They don't want you to follow God's rules. You need to stand up in the face of opposition for the truth in 2023. Here's the third picture, and then I'm going to close with this. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6. Don't worry, lunch is provided. There's no rush. Just want to make sure you're comfortable this morning. Verse six, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. That's an illustration we can get in Atlantic Canada, isn't it? Hardworking, it literally means working until you're worn out. Exhausting labor. I remember my great-grandfather telling the story of this old farmer when he was a little kid who had a wrap around his hand as he would push the uh, plow behind the horses. And the wrap was over a cancerous tumor in the palm of his hand that he never sought any medical attention for. So he had this bandana wrapped around a cancerous tumor on his hand as he's pushing the plow through the field. That's a hardworking farmer, wouldn't you say? A hardworking farmer. Um, at my previous church, there was a gentleman named Bill. And Bill is a great guy, did a lot of work for the church. He was one of these hands-on hands -on spiritual gifts of service and helps sort of guy. And he would do whatever needed to get done. And uh, the church did this big renovation. 
half a million dollars. He took the whole summer off to work on the facility at the church building. He was climbing scaffolding. He was doing all kinds of work. He's, he's pushing 70 now, so he should have probably taken it easier. At the end of the summer, I was preaching a sermon, and he's sitting at the back of the auditorium, and he took a heart attack as I was preaching. I don't think it was just the conviction of the spirit either. Uh, it, it was fairly minor. He didn't sustain any lasting uh, injuries or results of that heart attack, but Bill worked hard that summer, probably too hard. Farmers are hard working, aren't they? Farmers work hard, long hours. They have to be a jack of all trades, a gardener, mechanic, driver, vet, business manager, property manager, team manager, etc. It's often a generational family legacy. The whole family, financially stretching, schedule stretching, physically stretching, relationally stretching. You don't hear of many new farms being established because it's hard. I didn't know hard work until I worked on Mostert's dairy farm back in 2006. I learned some hard work. Jesus lived in an agrarian culture and often gave examples of the farm. You think about the shepherd and the sheep. You think about that farmer who had such a great harvest. He said, what am I going to do? He talked in third person. I love that. I think that's hilarious. He said to his soul, soul, I have so much stuff. I'm going to tear down my barns, build bigger so that I can hoard it all for myself. We talked about it in the stuff campaign back in the fall. Uh, but, but I was thinking about um, the sower and the seed, the seed being the word of God, planted, watered, God giving the increase. There's nothing easy about rock picking, plowing, tilling, preparing the soil, planting the seed, watering. Uh, we're coming into the hardening stage for our veggie garden. I don't know if that's the right term. I'm not the gardener. My wife is. But I think it means you got to take the veggies out every day to give them some outdoor wind and sun exposure and all that so they can harden and strengthen themselves before you put them in the garden? Like, it's a lot of work. Then you got to weed, then you got to water, and then finally, at the end of summer, you come to harvest time to harvest for all of your labor. It takes work. There's nothing easy about it. There's a lot of work to be done before you get to have a harvest of the crops. Look, if we want to see God bring the increase in people's lives then we need to be ready to do a lot of hard work. God gives the growth, yes. God brings the fruit, God gives the faith, God gives the salvation, the forgiveness, the freedom, yes. But he's chosen to do it through you and me. Persistence, resilience, faithfulness through difficulty, helping people follow Jesus, it's a lifelong commitment. Patience, as Steve said last week. A commitment to hard work. But if we want to see seasons of harvest, we need to work hard in seasons of spring. Isn't this an element of stepping out in faith and seeing God bring the blessing? This theme's been mentioned the last two weeks. Why, why would God save your neighbor's soul that you're praying for across the street while we're sitting in our comfy chair hoping that God's just going to accomplish it? And God's saying, what are you doing? Get up, go. Is it not clear enough in my word? Have you not experienced it in your life? What is preventing you from walking across the street, doing some good deeds for your neighbor, building some relational trust, and getting into the meat of conversation about why God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you? Why, why would you sit back and pray that God accomplishes that through someone else? Hard work. Harvest. 
So as I close, um, and honestly, this last page right here, here's what faithfulness and discipleship really boils down to. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal because discipleship is difficult. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those who will come to faith in Jesus Christ. God already knows who they are. That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy for, if we have died with him, like a good soldier giving up his own mission to take on the mission of the one who enlisted him. If we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, like the athlete who knows the art of endurance because they've practiced and they're willing to suffer with the team. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Amen? Amen? Why remain faithful to the mission of discipleship through the difficulty of discipleship? Why do that? It's my closing thought. It's easy. Maybe easy is the wrong term. It's simple. Jesus was faithful to you. Why would I give up my plans and priorities to serve his mission like a soldier? It's pretty simple. Jesus gave up everything for you. Why would I subject myself to God's rules for my life? It's pretty simple. Jesus lived a perfect life and obeyed the Father at every point so that he could die in your place. Why would I work to the point of exhaustion for the mission? Pretty simple. Jesus endured so much anxiety on the night that he would be arrested that his sweat became as great drops of blood and the anxiety was so severe because he knew what he was about to face. And who was on his mind? You and me. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. You know what that means? Have this one thought in mind. Have this one thought as your focus. Have this one thing as your aim. Jesus. Jesus did this for you. And now he's telling you to go and do likewise for the least of these. The people who don't know me yet. So those are my thoughts today. Discipleship happens faithfully because discipleship is difficult. It's not easy, but the truth is simple. Jesus gave his life for us. We ought to be willing to give our lives so that other people can come to know God through saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's our mission, to be disciples making disciples. It's as simple as that. Let's close in prayer. God, we want to thank you so much for what you've done for us. We praise your great and holy name your kindness, your compassion, your loving mercy, those mercies that are new every morning. God, we thank you the grace from your hand that reached us at our lowest point. 
when you sent Jesus Christ, while we were still trapped and dead in our sins, Jesus died for us. So that through a simple act of faith, you would save us. You'd forgive us. You would give us purpose and hope and a new home, a heavenly father, a new name, a new identity, a mission to be involved in, a reason, a purpose for our lives. We don't have to go about our lives binging Netflix and eating Doritos and sitting on an easy chair thinking that this is, this is the only life we've got, so let's eat, drink, and be merry. We can be involved in your mission and we can make a difference for all of eternity. Because in the end, we're going to look back and realize that this was just a blip on the radar. This was just a mist that vanishes. This is just the tip of an everlasting rope called eternity, where we're going to spend forever in your presence singing your praises because of the great and awesome God that you are. God, I thank you for my church family today. Thank you for all the things that we're celebrating, the things that we will celebrate as we enjoy lunch together and get into our members meeting. I just pray for our community now, Father. It can be difficult. It can be awkward. It can be uneasy, uncomfortable to reach out and have conversations about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the strength? Would you help us to wait on you and find that you will renew our strength? You will be our strong tower. It'll be by your strong right arm that you will lead us, you will deliver us, your banner over us. You're holding us in the palm of your hand. God, we thank you for your strength today, that we can be strong and courageous because you are with us. Your grace is sufficient for us. In our weakness, you are strong. God, we pray for the courage, the resilience, the fortitude to be faithful in this mission of discipleship. Help us not to sit back and take it easy. Help us to go all in for you, God. Give us that courage today. In Jesus' name, amen.